I'm joined today on Football CFB by Chris Sweeney, who wrote an incredible book on the man who is talked about a lot in Scottish football, Thomas Gravison. The book is called Mad Dog Gravison, The Last of the Modern Football Mavericks. Chris, thanks for joining me. No problem. Glad to be here. I've been enjoying your podcast for a while, so it's, uh, it's an honour to line up against the, the rogues gallery that you've had on previously. <laughs> the, first, the, the obvious question with the Thomas Gravison book is, what attracted you to write a book on Thomas Gravison? Because as you know, he's talked about quite a lot up here in Scotland. Um, I think what attracted me um, is that I found him to be a footballer that I didn't know a lot about. In a sense, that I did hear these, we've, we've all heard the stories and we'll probably talk about a few of them as we go on. Um, and I heard them, but I always felt there's got to be more to this guy. You know, there's got to be a wee bit more. I mean, you don't go to play for Real Madrid at peak galactical time. Um, and sort of, sort of do that type of thing if you've not got something about you. And I always found him quite an interesting character. So I just kind of looked into him a wee bit, as I do a lot of times. I mean, I, I try many book projects or interviews, articles, and sometimes, a lot of times they don't go anywhere because there's nothing there or what you anticipated finding, you don't find. Um, but with him, I found a very, I found a narrative where I felt he's a unique footballer um, and a unique person in football. So it's not so much about him as a footballer, it's about him as a person and why I felt he was the last of a dying breed. Not so much for on the park, but for off the park. But obviously, he was a, he's still a very good footballer and I try to make that clear in the book. It's not a, it's not make fun of him or laugh at him or let's or talk about Thomas Kravis. And it's, it's, more, it's more looking at him as an individual and how we don't really have characters like that and players like that in the game anymore. Something I want to touch on is the intro to the book. To Thomas, you might never read this, nor ever want to, but I salute you. You did it, and you did it your way. I hope any kid out there from any walk of life who feels the need to conform and tone things down uses you as an inspiration. Never lose your identity. Stand up tall. A very powerful message there. Has Thomas, uh, is he aware of the book? Has he accessed the book? Uh, yeah, he Surprisingly enough, Thomas, um, I never expected, because as I began doing the book and getting to know about Thomas, and if you go on YouTube, you'll find out he's not exactly very media friendly. He doesn't like doing many interviews. I don't think he really sees himself, well, he doesn't see himself as a celebrity or um, it's, it's, not, it's not something he's really comfortable with. Um, so I, didn't, I never expected him to be interested or want to do the book. I did contact him through his um, agent, a guy called John Cedarbeck, who plays for, played for Manchester United. He played in that Denmark team that won the Bureaus in 92. So he's his kind of agent or confidant, if you like. That's the closest you can get. Um, and he told me, no, 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 Thomas won't want you doing this. It's disrespectful. But I just plowed on anyway. And the reason why I put that at the start was just to let him know my intentions, that I was trying... I feel as though he's someone that we can look at. I think a lot of kids, no matter what, what area of life you're in, there's this idea you should behave a certain way and you, you, should, you should try to be fit in with everyone or try to tone down what you've got going on. And why should you? I mean, and he's a great example of that. He lived his life the way he was. He was honest. And yeah, there's a lot of jokes. So he didn't play that well for Celtic. Well, he played for Real Madrid. He played at the World Cups. I mean, he excelled as a footballer. Um, so yeah, so that, that, that's kind of what the message I was trying to say. But yeah, Thomas has read it. I, I got a phone call. Uh, I was was it uh, maybe about oh maybe about six seven months ago. I was in Zurich where I used to live, and I uh, got a phone call on my mobile. It was a Denmark number I picked up, and it was Thomas telling me that um, he'd read the book. He likes the book. Um, he doesn't want to publicise the book because it's not what he does. But he doesn't want to go against the book. But he respects what I've done. He's read it. He likes it. 
And we now have the odd text message back and forth to each other about uh, things, just, uh, just general things really. So I wouldn't say we're friends, maybe, maybe, maybe acquaintances is, is more the right word, all after the book, of course. That's absolutely sensational. And in terms of, of them, we've talked about, we know the character of him through the stories that have been told, but how did he get to Everton? How did he get to England? What was his, his life like before then? Yeah, well, he grew up in a very small part, uh, well, a very rural part of Denmark. So he's not from a big city or anything like that. And football was his was his was his goal from a very young age. Not to be a footballer, I don't think, but that's what he was into. Um, and his uh, he had a guy called um, uh, what do you call it? what was uh, Lefevre Ulrich Lefevre uh, became he was a Bundesliga footballer, and uh, he came back to live in. In Denmark and he was a school teacher and he happened to be Thomas's school teacher so he had a sort of school teacher as a for a footballer or sorry footballer became school teacher um, and um, he would sort of show him basic things and talk to him and but during the lessons he realized that Thomas wanted to be out playing football so he sort of kept an eye on Thomas and things like that and then he became an academy coach at Vila which is the local club looked after Thomas, and then, he, and then from then, this was a sort of class 92 situation where lots of the young guys from Viola got into the first team. So he, so he, sort, of, he sort of progressed through that, with the same with this, with this guy almost by his side, and then he's got a guy called Ole Fritzen, who was the manager of that, and he, that's a class of 92 first team sort of thing, it brought them into the first team. He sees these two guys as kind of mentors that have really, really helped him. But he only, he only played professional football in Denmark for two years, and then from, from there, he was straight over to Hamburg, which was a big deal. He excelled at Hamburg, and then Everton brought him. So he, he's, he's actually not, he, he, he wasn't someone who, you know, had a massive um, sort of like, you know, uh, like, sort of, you know, sort of, sort of build up, if you know what I mean. It was, it, it was two years in Denmark, and then straight into sort of playing, playing first team for Hamburg, three years there, and then over to Everton, where he did well, and then obviously into the Denmark team. So he wasn't someone I, I would say that was like sort of moulded, Moulded into this sort of a superstar and sort of like you know pre, you know pre, pre, you know sort of predicted to be the, the to be the one. But I think when he got into that when he got into the first team in Denmark for those two years, I think it was evident that he was head and shoulders above. So he, that's why he was only there for a very short time. And then to go play for Hamburg and Hamburg was a big team. German you know the German league in that in that sort of mid nineties was a you know it was a it was a big deal to play there. And to go straight in to play first team after only playing two years in Denmark, I think is pretty it, sh it shows his quality. You mentioned the, the the two years in Denmark early on shows his quality, getting a move to the Bundesliga as well, and then getting to the Premier League with Everton. When he arrives in England, you know what it's like with the Premier League. It's it's the most exposed league in the world. It gets the most publicity. Um, obviously, it's sold in so many countries. Was that something he found difficult at first? I think he did. I mean, I think that, that I think he finds anything. Uh, I think he's quite a guy that likes um, routine. He likes to know where he stands. He likes to be part of a community. He's not seeking, um, you know, fame, fortune, which he has gone on to receive. But he hasn't. He hasn't been looking for that. You know, he's not the kind of guy to be looking for, like, sort of, you know, do, to get an advertising deal with Nike or, you know, to become the face of some energy drink. You know, he's he's not that type of guy. He really just wants to play football. And live his life. I mean, in Everton, he lived in the city centre. He lived, um, you know, he took an apartment in there. And I mean, there's a story in the book when he lives in Hamburg. I mean, he, he writes on his buzzer outside his flat in Hamburg. He writes Gravison, 
HSV, which is obviously the abbreviation for, for Hamburg in German. So if any fans pass and they know that's where he lives. And if you think of any other footballer, I mean, who on earth would write where they lived on their buzzer and make it clear that he lived there? So if you wanted a wee chat about the game, you could just buzz him and have a chat with him. You know, so I mean, he, he, he wasn't really, you know, he likes community. He comes from a small town. Um, so I think he would find it difficult, but I think he'd find it difficult moving anywhere. And I think that's kind of, I think that when you see that in all his career, I think he has a wee sort of initial, not blip, but a wee sort of, you know, getting into the groove, getting maybe maybe somewhere to live, a routine. He craves that. Um, and I think even now, he, even, even now he craves that. You know, I, I, I don't think he wants to be, um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I don't think he deals with a lot of stuff going on. He's quite singularly focused. And I think maybe that's his downfall in football and also probably a good thing um, because he only sees, he, he's got quite tunnel vision for some things. And then when things start interfering with that, I think that causes him problems due to his personality and his, and his character. I think the word maverick sum, sums him up perfectly in two ways. Obviously, he is a, he is a big character, as we know, but he's, all, he's also a, a great player. And that's something that, as you've said rightly, is forgotten about quite a lot. When you look back at his time at Everton, you don't get a move to Real Madrid unless you are excelling and you're a star at the club you're at. And to be fair to him, in the Premier League, he was a great player. He was technically sound. He was an important player. He was trusted by David Moyes, who at the time was one of the regarded as one of the best managers in the Premier League. And we all know what David Moyes went on to with Manchester United, etc. But I think, as, as I said, the, the word maverick sums him up perfectly. In terms of his time at Everton, is that something that when you were writing the book, when you look back, you think, wow, what a player he was, especially when he was at Everton. And it's quite sad in a way that he doesn't really get that credit anymore. It's all about the, the jokes and the laughter. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think when I started to explore Everton, um, I sp- spoke to a few ex-players there. I spoke to Alan Stubbs, uh, David Weir, who were his captains, you know, and it, and it started to become quite evident that they had quite a lot of respect for him as a footballer. Like, you know, I mean, obviously there was, as you say, there was lots of stories about antics and tales and things that went on, but yeah, their level of respect for him as a player was quite, was not unnerving, but quite, oh yeah, hold on a minute, you know, you know what you're talking about. Archie Knox as well, who has been... I, mean, I don't know how long not to be in football, but it's a very long time. When he tells you someone's a top quality player, you know, he obviously knows what he's talking about. And I had a few people when I was writing the book and my publisher was saying, oh, well, I don't know if he's some, I had an editor who looked over the book for me. He said, no, I don't know if we're over an egg and how good a player he was. And I felt saying, well, how many games have you played? I mean, these guys are saying he's a good player. I mean, what do you know about football? So people who play the game know how good he is. And I think sometimes on the pitch, you know, maybe maybe certain tactics, certain managers couldn't get that out of him, but certainly Everton he could. And I think the best thing to say is Everton qualified for the Champions League in his last year. In the book I mentioned, um, I've not got the figures off my head right now, but if you look at the statistics of how well they did with him and how well they did without him, they were hanging on with their fingers nearly at the end, but he'd put them in that Champions League position. Okay, he got a move to Real Madrid and then their form went, I think they only won like three games the rest of the season or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but they, they were holding on. Um, so I think that shows how good he was. I mean, Everton in the Champions League, look at all the money they spend now, they can't even in the Champions League. You know, so I, I, think, I think that shows how, how good a player he was. In terms of how good a player Gravison was, you don't get a move to Real Madrid if you're a poor player. We all know that they're the club in, in world football that's won the most Champions Leagues, European Cups. They're, they are the club of world football in many people's opinion. In terms of that move, describe how that move came about for, for Thomas and, and how, 
how he responded to getting a move to, as I say, the premier club in European football? Well, he didn't want to go for a start off. Um, I mean, in the book, I tell a story where um, he's, uh, he's mucking about at the training ground and there's a playmate for him and he's like, you know, mucking around, unpacking bags and mucking about his locker. And David Weir said he didn't want to go. I mean, you could tell, like, he had to go, but he didn't want to go. He was trying to delay it as long as possible because he was leaving that sense of community where he knew things were... You know, that's what I'm saying. He wasn't chasing the big crowd. Of course, he realised Real Madrid, OK, I've got to go for it. But it wasn't, that wasn't what he, what he played football for. Um, so I think that was something that was quite difficult for him. But, I mean, he goes there. And, you know, he, he gets in the team and he plays. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think for him it was out of the blue. I mean, it wasn't something he was expecting. His agent told him. They went there. And, I mean, he, there's the press conference where the, 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 the Real Madrid chairman starts to give it a big one that all these teams were chasing Thomas and you know they really did their deal and Thomas is you can see Thomas sitting there going what are you talking about and he gets his turn to speak and he says no no there wasn't any other teams this is the only option I had like I'm happy to be here but I didn't have any other options you know he totally shoots down all the kind of PR spin and try to build it up because he's just saying well no I didn't have any option but I'm happy to be here like you know don't get it wrong so it was a bit of a surprise I don't think he wanted to do it but I think he realized he, he, he had to do it um, because I think playing in that team, the Galactical team, I think any footballer, I think you know, I think you've got to go and have a have a go. Yeah, I think I, I, I totally agree. I think when you look back at the Galactical era of Real Madrid, when you just name the players they had: Figo, Beckham, Original Ronaldo, Roberto Carlos. You can Zidane. go on, Zidane. Sorry, you can go on and on and on. I mean, for Thomas, when he goes into that situation, just describe what it was like for him because it's something that as football fans and, and, and guys who have played the game you can only dream of being on a training field with these Galacticos Yeah and I think he was exactly the same I mean he went there absolutely unbelievable that here I am at Real Madrid and he he phones Archie Knox and uh, Archie Knox says to him uh, he phones up Archie Knox to tell him he's gone and Archie says is that, is that, is that Thomas Gravison of Real Madrid? And, uh, and Thomas goes, I know, I can't fucking believe it either. Like, they were totally, you know, and it, it, even like the, the, the Danish press, they sent like a, kind of a Danish reporting team just to follow Thomas at this point, because he's, at this point, he's the biggest news in Denmark. Also because his personal life, he's gone out with a porn star, but that, that in the Real Madrid movie, he's absolutely, you know, he's front back page and, they said, like, even the Spanish, the Spanish media were, like, asking him, you know, what's this guy about? Because other players would kind of jog out for training or, you know, they'd have the, the jumpers on and the hats and he'd come out, shorts and T-shirt, like, sprinting out, sprinting out on the training part, like, you know, 100 miles an hour, just ready to go, you know, every, every morning. It was like, I can't believe I'm here, you know, and he, he loved it. I mean, he, he loved being part of that thing. And it was, I think it was so nice to see a guy absolutely love to play football. And to get that chance to play at the highest level and not be... He wasn't the type of guy that could ever, could ever see it any other way than just, this is great to play at Real Madrid. That's all he saw. He never saw, oh, I'll make lots of money and I'll, uh, I'll get this kind of deal and I'll, I'll be in the media and blah, blah, blah. It's just simple. I'm living the dream and I'm going to go for it. And that's what he did. He literally played with his heart on his sleeve. And uh, yeah, he's at Real Madrid for, for, for sort of pretty much two years. In terms of him at Madrid, tell us some of the stories from his time at Madrid because in the book there's there's quite a few. Let's be honest. 
Well, I mean, I think the best one is when he, when he, because he, he always liked to kind of wrestle with people, you know, and like he, he quite enjoyed a bit of that sort of wrestling, and it was all just banter to him. But um, he gets he gets a hold of Big Ronaldo, who I mean, it's a fair unit. I mean, obviously, original Ronaldo, he's not a, not a small man, and there's a bit of horseplay going on, and um, you know, end up, end up, they, they end up rolling about in the ground. It's all it's, it's not fine, but Thomas is trying to get, get him in this. He's quite like people in bear hugs. No, he's freakishly strong. I've never been in one, but apparently he's freakishly strong. Everyone you talk to says that, you know, once he gets in a bear, lot, a bear hug, he can't out it. So, I mean, him and Ronaldo end up rolling about the ground. And uh, the upshot is Ronaldo, Ronaldo ends up losing some teeth. So, I mean, you can imagine the, the Real Madrid management and or, the directors. I mean, here's a prized sort of possession, Ronaldo lying on the ground with his teeth knocked out and this big Danish guy laughing his head off thinking it's hilarious. You know, he was just... It was just different from from what from from, from you know from what you would expect. Um, he would he, he would watch loads and loads of football in, de- in Spain. He just watched football all the time. Um, and then obviously you know he was he, he, he was just, he just I don't think he was just a bit different for there, you know. But they, 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 I have spoke to people within the Real Madrid dressing room. Um, some of them mentioned, some of them are not. Um, but you know he was he was one of the guys. He was, he was a great character. Um, he, he did fit in there, but he was different. I mean, he was he, he was definitely different. He is a different guy, and 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 the sense of community that you've talked about is is absolutely spot on. Because as you've said, that's that really was his life growing up, and that is his life now. What I think is interesting is is the idea that the reason things didn't work out for him in Madrid is because if you think about it, the fans adored him. The biggest thing in Denmark for him and for most people, that would be something you would you would live off, and you would really play on as such and, and, and make the most of it whereas as you say for him he's he's not someone who ever wants to to trouble the media or get himself out there so in the end it's just the size and the interest in him just overwhelming and is that why ultimately he wanted to leave Real Madrid? Part of it is that I mean I, I think you'll see in, in, you'll see in the, the book anyone who's who's read it, um, they'll see that there's very little from, from journalists and obviously you know yourself working in the working in the, in the media, a lot of times journalists maybe portray themselves as oh, they're being experts or they know a lot of these footballers or they're right in there and that kind of stuff. Well, very few football, very few journalists know Thomas because he didn't talk to them. So there isn't a lot of um, interaction with the media. So he would try to block all that out, which I think probably worked against him in some ways because then they probably thought well we need to find out more about this guy so they probably made the chase a bit more kind of uh, a bit more kind of lucrative so he probably ended up being pursued and he was pursued and people take pictures of him and this and that and yeah some people think it's fine but for him that's not him whereas if you gave him a group of 100 fans he would talk to every single one of them do autographs sit down have a coffee I mean, I mean I'm even told now by someone close to him because Thomas is back in his hometown if you hang about his hometown you see him He'll, he'll go for a coffee with you and talk about football if you want. But if you were a reporter wanting to ask him anything, it would like he sprint in the direction. You know, he, he, he's, he's not that he's precious. It's that he doesn't see that kind of thing as being comfortable for him, being part of it. So I think that was part of it. I mean, he's dating a very well-known porn star at the time. He's at Real Madrid. The pressure's on him. Um, but I think also a part of it was Fabio Capello, or a big part of it was Fabio Capello. This kind of rules for rule's sake, you know, no catch-up and whatever it is. I mean, we well know from England days all, all the rules he had. And Someone like Thomas, you are, unless you can get through to him, you're going to have a hard time imposing rules on him. 
Um, and that happened apparently, you know, I mean, when he goes to Germany, I mean, a great story is one of the times the coach would call him in for a wee team meeting after the training, you know, a wee huddle. Thomas would just ignore it and keep on playing, you know, keep on doing free kicks. He would just ignore them. He wouldn't even bother coming in. He would just keep doing his thing. Or he'd be on the bus and he would say, you can't use your phone. He would just use his phone. He would just use his phone willy-nilly. You know, he, 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 I don't think he was a rule. He was a rule breaker. But I don't think he meant to be difficult. I think it was his character. If you can't get through to him, um, then you're going to struggle. And Walter Smith could at Everton. Davy Moyes could. His, his Danish coach could. When he originally goes to Real Madrid, they could. But if you're just going to try and sort of make him something he's not, because of the character he is, you're, you're, it's very, very difficult. And that goes back to what I said at the start of the book. Why should we all be the same? We're churning out footballers that, I mean, to be frank, a lot of them get no personality or they don't want to show their personality. And, you know, I, I don't think that's a way to live your life, no matter how much you're in. Well, Gravison, as you say, definitely did not conform. He goes to Celtic, gets the move there. His manager is Gordon Strachan, big personalities, we know. And he's the sort of guy, I've spoken to Gordon a few times, been in his company a few times. When it comes to football, loves to chat about football and open to new ideas. But when he gets down to setting up a team, he likes it to be done his way. And, and for Thomas, that was difficult. I mean, it was, it was the worst match ever. I mean, you, you have to question what the hell Celtic, Gordon Strachan were doing buying him because he was never going to be the type of guy that, that, that could work or flourish under God. I mean, I think Aidy McGee's a good example. McGee seemed to have a lot of arguments with Strachan. And I think he was... I mean, he was not as far down the line as, as, as Gravison in, in this type of thing where, okay, McGeady would take some instruction but still would have a bite back. Thomas was just, I mean, way, way past that. He was just not, he was who he was and that, and you just couldn't really change him. So I don't understand why Celtic bought him. And I feel that kind of, I write in the book that I feel Celtic failed him in some ways, that they bought him and they almost extinguished his flame, like they kind of made him train with the younger people. There's that famous picture online, I think, him at Albion Rovers, Cliftonville, and you're thinking, no disrespect to Albion Rovers, but I mean, you're thinking, this guy was playing for Real Madrid 18 months ago. What the hell is he doing playing for Celtic's reserves at Cliftonville when we, you know, one man and a dog? I mean, it's just, I just feel as though he was kind of, he was made, he was kind of ground down. And then he retires from football, leaves Celtic when he's like 32, 33, still able to play, but decides not to play anymore. And I, I just feel as though it was a kind of, Sad end, you know, or why did Gordon Strachan sign him? Why did Celtic, did Celtic not do any, speak to anyone or any managers previously? I mean, it was clear the type of guy he was. You know, it was just never, it was just never going to work. And it didn't work. I mean, Matt Wilson talks about it in the book, I play an old firm game and he's telling Thomas, like, you know, I need you to stay with me, man, because like, you know, you're playing right midfield, I'm right, I need you. And he turns and says, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me during this game. And, you know, the lane game goes on and, like, Mark Wilson thinks he's kind of having a laugh. So Mark Wilson again says to him, Thomas, Thomas. And he just turns around and gives him an absolute mouthful and tells him not to speak to him at all for the rest of the game. Shut up. And, you know, he's deadly serious. And he, did, he does score in that game, to be fair. But Mark Wilson, every time he looked up, Thomas was somewhere else in the pitch. He was never going to be that type of guy. So, yeah, I can see why Strachan had a problem with him. But, again, what did you buy him for? And I just don't think they treated him that well. And I think it was a bit like, Bobo Baldi, where it's sort of, you know, it kind of, Bobo Baldi didn't end very well at Celtic. Again, I felt a bit sorry for him. And I think Celtic did that kind of streak at that time where they seemed to isolate people. And I don't know why, but, you know, it, it didn't sit well with me. And I, I tried to express that in the book. 
something that really interests me about Tommy, I spoke to Gary Caldwell for the podcast recently and uh, Gary was talking about the fact, big personality, but he said the same as we've said here, what a player. One of the things he said that was quite funny, he said was uh, he loved to play Call of Duty in video games and he said he actually, I think, was like the seventh best player in the world at one point and he used to come into training and he would just want to tell you all about it. Yeah, he's like a. I mean, I think the, I think Alan Stubbs in the book refers to Thomas as like being like the character from Big, like Tom Hanks, and he was almost like a grown man child. You know, he was very innocent, very playful, very. You know, he loves stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the Call of Duty thing did get a wee bit because Gordon Strachan. If you watch Gordon Strachan, does an interview online. I think it's um, with with uh, Simon Ferry, and he talks how how that Gordon Str- uh, Thomas is now the second best player of Call of Duty, and he gets thousands of pounds to play games. That's a lot of rubbish. He's no, he doesn't get money. And he, I never became the second best player because I spoke to some people in that world. But I, I'm sure he'd be very good at it. He was very good at a lot of things because he, again, that tunnel vision is what I'm saying. He was very good at pool. He became very good at poker, it seems, um, from obviously a lot of money he made. He, you know, he's very focused on certain things. So being good at a video game, yeah, of course, he would sit there all day. I mean, Mark Wilson again tells a great story. He asked Thomas, like, you know, so what are you doing for your summer holidays? You know, you're going back to... Uh, you know, where are you going, mate? You know, you've obviously got a porn star girlfriend, your highest paid, I mean, we've not mentioned he was the highest paid player in Scotland at this time. By far the highest paid player. Um, you know, what are you doing for your summer holidays? Oh, I'm just going back to Denmark. Oh, have you got a house there? No, no, no. In my parents' basement, I'm just playing Call of Duty. So that was his idea. Summer back, all, all summer sitting in his parents' basement in Denmark playing Call of Duty. You know, that's what I'm saying. He was, he was, a, he was a lovable big guy, a big, innocent kind of character, which I think is lovely. And I mean, again, I, I think there's nothing to be, that's not to be mocked. It's, you know, why should we all grow up and become cynical and hard and, you know, <laughs> why? Very good point. And something that I think also is credit to him is the fact that when he gets basically, for want of a better phrase, bombed to the reserves, as such as people say, a lot of players, especially who'd played at Real Madrid, would be quite let's be honest with you, it would be quite disruptive and say, I'm not dealing with this, I'm not putting up with this. Whereas Simon Ferry has said many times, I spoke to Jim O'Brien recently, he said the exact same. When he went down to the reserve team level as such, he, he still he still trained. He, oh, he liked to laugh and a joke, of course, he liked his pool, but he was still a top player. And when he got going and training, you went, wow. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, because he loved to play football. That's all he wanted to do, is play football, whether it's for Celtic, Real Madrid, or whether it's for, you know, I don't know, his local pub team. I mean, he really just wants to play football. I mean, it was actually, when, it, when I got going in the, the research, when I spoke to his old um, his old high school teacher, Ulrich Fevre, uh, back in Denmark, I mentioned the guy who became the school teacher. He said, oh yeah, Thomas was here a few weeks ago, and it was, uh, we're playing a, a celebrity old game versus some, you know, old footballers against some TV presenters. He said Thomas trained for six months for it, got himself into the best possible shape. So he's taken even that seriously. Like, he just loves to play football. So I'm not surprised. I mean, I don't, no, no one ever said he was a bad trainer. It was getting through to him. You know, that was the kind of key here, not treating him like everybody else. He may have a different personality and, and different interests and different uh, characteristics, but those are who he is. What do you want him to do? He can't stop being who he is. He, he wasn't a bad guy, you know. And, and I think it's nice to hear that those footballers remember that. And I think he, I think he takes pride in that. Something we talked about there in terms of the way he is on the pitch and positional sense, etc., and and the fact he's just so enthusiastic and wants to go everywhere. 
is it one of those things, especially when he came to Scotland, that you're surprised that he maybe wasn't given a free role or a freer role in the team? Is maybe part of a midfield three and you think you've got two solid people behind really marshalling the position, being structured, and if you gave him a bit of free reign, that's how you'd have got the best out of him? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's how Everton, that, that season when he gets the, you know, I think the season before, but particularly that season when he gets the move to, you know, to uh, Real Madrid, he's got that free role. And actually, in the book, I, I, I actually looked at Wayne Rooney. When Wayne Rooney emerges, it actually blunts Thomas because Wayne Rooney's got that role. So Thomas is sort of not, not been, have not been able to sort of do what he wants. But Wayne Rooney leaves and it's Thomas that gets him to Champions League. It's not Wayne Rooney. He's already gone at this point. I'm not saying he's better than Wayne Rooney. That's that's a discussion for another, you know, whatever. I think I think Wayne Rooney probably had a much more successful career, so you, you can't take away from what Wayne Rooney's done. But the point is, he, he was able to he was able, he was able to flourish in that role. And I think yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Celtic at that point were, were, were mad for to me, mad not giving him that position because, you know, that's what he excelled at. Not being stuck out saying right, you're playing right midfield. Don't leave that role because he's never going to do that. And I think, we get, I think you think the one of his first games for Celtic's playing against um, Manchester United in the Champions League down at Old Trafford. And I think Thomas is guilty of been out of position a few times and they get they score a few goals. And, and that's, totally, that, that's totally it. I mean, all the footballers, most of the coaches I spoke to said, you couldn't have a team of Thomas Gravisons because you would get beat every week. But you can have one. <laughs> that sums it up perfectly, to be fair. And, uh, with Thomas Gravison and the... The way that he is, did did he fall out of love with football at the end of his career? Because as you say, Everton, top man, Real Madrid, playing with the Galacticos, Celtic starts kind of well and then ends up in the reserves. Did did the way it ended at Celtic blunt his enthusiasm for football? And is that why he decided to seek avenues out with? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think that he just, I mean, he'd obviously made a lot of money, but again, like I think, I don't think he wasn't chasing the money. He did go back to Everton on loan um, the second year at Celtic, but injury and stuff like that, he didn't play that many games. So he comes back to Celtic, and I think he's just thinking, this is no fun anymore. This has just become a, a grind here. You know, I just don't want to do this. And like, he is on, I think it was on, just slightly over £40,000 a week. So he's the highest paid player in Scotland by a, by a, by a quite a distance at that point. Um, and he just thinks to himself, this is, just, this is no fun anymore. I mean, this is just... Uh, I want to just play football. I don't want to be, you know, people asking interviews and taking pictures of me and then I'm not playing football. He just wants to enjoy the game. He's, he's always been like, I just had a big kid, just give him a ball. And that's why he plays the game. The ball's on a pitch. He's the one tearing about, like, you know, racing after it. That's how he is. So I, he just decides, yeah, I've had enough. And of course, in true Thomas Gravison style, where do you go to calm down, relax, find yourself, peaceful? He goes to Las Vegas. <laughs> When he goes to Las Vegas, I mean, as you say, the most Thomas Gravison place to relax. In terms of the stories, we've heard lots of stories about him over the years. I am sure some are accurate, I'm sure some are not. What was his life like in Vegas? Because as you say, it's been much speculated on from media across the world. Yeah, I mean, there's always the big issue of uh, he's made 100 million and uh, people, that, that's been all over the place. He has made a lot of money. I can't, I can't say how much he's made. I don't think anyone will see, and he won't see. Um, but he had did make a lot of money, yes, because like uh, in the book, I did a bit of research where he lived and all that kind of stuff, and he's living in a gated community 
with Andre Agassi and Nicolas Cage and uh, Penn, Penn Gillette of the famous uh, magician duo, Penn and Teller. So yeah, he's got a lovely, this kind of sort of slightly sort of special edition Mercedes. Because um, he, he was quite into his cars because in the book I say, you know, during his time when he was a, when he was a pro in Denmark, because he, he had to fill his time because training wasn't enough for him. So he, he, you know, he doesn't know what to do himself. So he took a job as like selling car parts part-time when he was in Denmark as a footballer. And they said to him, no, 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 you can't be doing this. I mean, you know, you're about to go to Hamburg here, mate. You're about to be the big next big Danish superstar. You can't be working part-time selling car parts. So that, that stopped. Um, so he had the, in, in, so he buys a nice Mercedes in, 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 in Las Vegas. And he's got a very nice lifestyle. Yeah, he plenty of money and he bought a lovely big plot of land in Denmark. He was going to build a sort of mansion. But then that went all pear-shaped because the person who'd sold it to him, there wasn't any planning permission, so he stuck with this thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, lots and lots of money, nice lifestyle. Playing poker, his girlfriend at the time gave him some investment advice, I believe. So it's not all just poker money. I think some of it's come from investments as well. Um, but he's not like running a chain of bars and restaurants and hotels. There's a lot of stuff out there that, no, he wasn't doing that kind of stuff. I mean, he wasn't like setting up companies and that's no him. I mean, you could just never see him doing that. I mean, there is a great story in the book. I think it's been repeated on a few websites now that um, he lost $54 million on a game of cards in a sort of uh, private, what do you call it, like one-to-one game uh, in, uh, in Las Vegas, which if you ask most people who know Thomas, they could say, yeah, I can see him doing that. So. <laughs> In terms of, of the book, um, what have been your favourite stories and favourite moments from writing the book? Because as you say, you've, you've spoken to lots of people that have worked with them, whether that be managers, players, staff. What's been the favourite things that you've got to know about? Yeah, I mean, I managed to actually get um, someone in every dressing room he's been in, which, was, which, was, which I felt was an achievement because a lot of players wouldn't talk when they knew he was, because Thomas is not involved in this book. So when, a lot, a lot, when I spoke to a lot of them, like, no, 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 if he's not involved, I'm no. So, like, they wouldn't speak to me, you know. But I managed to get someone in every dressing room. Some are quoted, some are not. But I have, so I felt like that was a good, um, you know, barometer because I'm, I'm getting a good, good look at them. So I, I felt as though I, I covered them well in the book. My favourite stories, I think it's the one in Hamburg where he's, um, there's a kind of no-nonsense sort of centre-half who liked to drive his big Porsche and he liked to hammer down the autobahn into training. And... Um, He's hammering down his Porsche one day, and this kind of, uh, you know, sort of lunatic overtakes him on a motorbike, wearing flip-flops and shorts and a helmet, and just sort of absolutely goes flying past him. I, I don't know what speed it is, but you know, dangerous. And he comes in, he's going, "This, this bloody!" And he goes into the, he goes into the training ground, and he sees this motorbike, and he's like, "Hold on a minute here!" And he goes into the changing room, and there's Thomas getting changed out the flip-flops. It's him flying about like a lunatic in flip-flops. And he was actually using that motorbike at night to go home to Denmark, sleep in Denmark, and then drive back to Hamburg in the morning, like a bat out of hell. And it's like a three-hour trip one way and three years back. So he was going home at night to Denmark, because he liked the wee community, seeing his girlfriend, and then hammering back in the morning to, to Hamburg. They never knew about it. But then when they said to him, no, no, when they found out about that, I said, no, no, you can't even do that. And that's just, that's just unacceptable. So that was, that was what I really liked that. You know, he's, he's playing in this big, I mean, Hamburg's a, a city of a lot of, uh, you know, it's got the Reaper band, it's got a lot of, uh, you know, I think for a young man earning plenty of money, being a footballer, it's probably a city where you could, you know, end up going down a certain path and enjoying the, the, 
you know, the other side of life, shall we say, but here's Thomas wanting to drive home to go to, to see his wee town in Denmark and see his girlfriend. I mean, it just shows you the guys, you know, and also risking risking his entire career by careering about like a lunatic in a motorbike, you know, wearing flip-flops. Just sums him up to me, just, you know, living for the moment, you know, and I, I think that's lovely. I have to agree, and I must say, in terms of the book, the reason I really enjoyed the book is because I like the fact that he's someone who's spoken about a lot, Simon Ferry in Open Goal, lots of guests have spoken about him, lots of funny stories. I've spoken to people for the podcast, have told me a few funny stories, but what I liked about this, as you said, it was all about the wider person of Thomas Gravison, and what I want to ask you about is, where can people buy the book? Where's the book available? Um, and, and just where can they get it? Because I know since I've started speaking to you, I've recommended it to a lot of my friends. They've they've made sure they've purchased it. So where can everyone else purchase it if they're interested? Well, it's on Amazon. Um, so yeah, you can get it on Amazon or also in the bookshops, Waterstones, W. H. Smith, things like that. It's pretty uh, it's pretty widely available. So yeah, I mean, you just you just go online and uh, you know order and hope, hope people enjoy it. I, I was trying not to make fun of them. It's not about laughing at them or you know. And I do think you've seen a lot of those people that I mean. A lot of people have been on these other podcasts and I do think at some point it's enough. Like, you know, we've had the Thomas Gravison, like, oh, let's get the funny Thomas Gravison story. Let's laugh at Thomas Gravison. And, oh, that was really hilarious when he did that. But the guy's got a, a personality. He's got family. He's got... I think that part of that joking did hurt him. I think he became almost like a joke figure. And I think that's part of one reason why the football thing went, went bad from Celtic and other clubs because people did perceive him as just a bit of a clown, a bit of an idiot. You know, and I think subconsciously that can have an impact on someone. Just, I think he's quite a sensitive person. I don't think it comes, maybe he doesn't look like a sensitive person, doesn't act like a sensitive person. But I think there was, there was a side of that. And hopefully my book also, and I, I do feel a lot of people on these, a lot of footballers on these podcasts have tried to make him look a bit of a clown and this and that. I mean, I was on um, Off The Ball, BBC with, with Stuart and Tam, and uh, James Grady was on and there was a question, James like, oh, I don't know how many games he played for Celtic and kind of burst out laughing and like, well, how many games did you play for Celtic? How many games did you play for Real Madrid? How many times were you at the World Cup? Like, you know, he's not a figure of fun. He was a very accomplished footballer, but I think also a very interesting person. And that's what I've tried to bring to the book. You know, it's not a laughing at him or it's just about showing, showing someone who he is. And to me, he's the last of a dying breed. Are we ever going to see someone like that? play for a big club at Real Madrid again and, and be that be that original. No, I think academies and all these things have changed that. Footballers are different now, for good or for bad. Um, and for me, you know, it's a shame that we've, that we've lost someone like Thomas. And it's a, it's a kind of ode to him and it was written for him and I'm glad he's read it. So at least he's read it. <laughs> if everyone else does, that's a bonus. No, absolutely. I'm glad he's read it. And I just want to say thank you for coming on the podcast. And also I'd like to just say to everyone, Mad Dog Gravison, The Last of the Football and Mavericks, available on Amazon, Waterstones, WH Smith. I would really recommend that, hopefully you've enjoyed this chat about Thomas and with Chris, but I would recommend you read the book as well, because as I say, we've heard the funny stories. There are some funny stories in the book, but it's about the wider person, and I would recommend it to, to anyone who's listening to this, because as I say, for me, if you like Thomas Gravison, you're interested in him, this is a perfect book for you. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave
song of 